Welcome back to the Omni Wellness Studio Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. We got another special episode in store for you today. Like always, if you like the content we're putting out and the message, leave us a review, subscribe, give us some love. Welcome back to another episode. I got a I got a special guest in the house. Um, so, Rome, native of Rome, uh, former CEO, Amazon best-selling author, public speaker, and an expert in behavioral finance. Does that kind of sum it up? Uh, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's that's a lot going on there. So, um, Andy Frazier, right? Welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to to be on. Absolutely, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. So, um, so tell me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to even start of all this. Like, how does that even, where does it stem from? I, I guess to take it back, I, I like to start off, you know, you're from Rome. And, um, you know, as a, how you grew up, family life, like, how does a person, and I, I know I read some of your bio and you had said that you had at first had a passion with, like, uh, fashion and designing. Like, like was it clothes or did yeah. you want to? Just like probably nowadays, it would be considered to be a stylist. Okay. But back then, you know, I we moved to Rome when I was in sixth grade, so I wasn't born in Rome. But we've lived here. My parents have lived here ever since. My dad was the minister at Second Avenue Baptist Church while I was growing up. I went to East Rome High, graduated from East Rome High School, and it was my senior year when he decided to leave the ministry full time and and go into being a financial advisor and work with Peachtree Planning. So he did that kind of in the middle of my yeah. senior year of high school. Um, so since then, he's been here and has established his business here. My parents have remained here. My brother lives here with his two kids. And so, um, and my husband is from Rome. Um, so it's kind of a, a neat to be back here. Yeah. And I think I read where you had mentioned that your husband's grandfather was a judge. Yeah, it was Judge Frazier here okay. for many years. And his yeah. family, my husband's family moved away, I think, after his sophomore year in high school and kind of popped around different places. And we reconnected after I went to my 20-year high school reunion, and they posted the pictures on Facebook, and he reached out to me from there. He was living in North Carolina. I was in New York. And yeah. We kind of struck it up. But to get back to your question about fashion, you know, that was always a real passion of mine. Um, and I still love to express myself creatively through fashion, you know, getting, you know, dressed and figuring out, you know, who am I going to be for the day and what does my day look like? And it's a way for me to express my creativity, but it's a far different kind of modality than what I do every day, which is serve as a financial planner. So it's, I need to, I need to up my fashion. (laughs) It's one area that I need to, I feel like a lot of other areas of my life have elevated but my passions, my fashions, kind of stayed <laughs> low. I need to catch it up. Not saying I need to go out and just ch- change my identity through right. fashion, but I think it could, I think it could elevate some. Well, it's changed so much. I mean, you know, COVID certainly, I think, changed how people dress for work. A lot of people are working remotely, and True. and the athleisure industry has really promoted that. Even in New York, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon to see somebody in jeans and a turtleneck and then somebody else in a in a suit so it really is about i believe it's about dressing for your day who am i going to see what am i going to be doing and making sure i feel good and whatever that is yeah so like i went to a uh, pretty large business event networking event several times last year i called i I called 2022 and some of 23 my level up tour i would just i just (laughs) invested a lot of money and going and being around other other what I call killers yeah. it's in the industry. I wanted to learn from them, pick their brain. And uh, I, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself on what to wear. And I would 
pick out something. I'd get there and I'd find the guy that I'm looking up to. He would just be wearing like jeans and a black shirt and just like a nice watch. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm overthinking this. Yeah. But that, that worked for him. Yeah. Like, I think it can work for me too. It ain't got to be over the top. Right. Exactly. And you know, I think for many, many years when I first started in the financial industry, I was, you know, 23 years old and I had a lot of people say, okay, you got to wear the navy blue and oh, the black yeah. and really be subdued. <laughs> yeah. And through the Look years, like I'm like, you know what? I have earned the right yes. to dress like I want to in yeah. this in this business. And um and that comes through, you know, my knowledge and my expertise. And so I think that that gives me a little bit more freedom to express myself creatively through the way that I dress and I like it and it's fun. Yeah. So it's good. Well, cool. You mentioned that your dad it was in your, your senior year that you had that he had took over a a financial firm. Well, he launched, he really he, launched he his started own practice it. here in Rome. Yes. Okay. And I was, I was going to be my question. Was your dad always involved with like financial stuff or did you, did you grow up seeing him go through different like careers and stuff like that? And then, well, interestingly a, enough, as a minister, he had authored a book on taxation for ministers and clergy. So by authoring that book, a lot of ministers and nonprofits and churches were coming to him for tax Dang, advice yeah. and, and subsequently financial advice. And so it was kind of a combination of him feeling like that was a real calling for him yeah. to serve in another way, to be uh, you know ministering in another way and not only helping ministers and clergy and nonprofits, but in helping individuals because so many people you know, that he would counsel as a minister would come to him with relationship issues that stemmed from financial issues, money issues. So I think it gave him a chance to serve in a different way and in something that we both carry forward now. Yeah. We feel like that everybody deserves the right to good financial advice. Yeah. You know, we don't have a minimum. And the reason we don't have a minimum is we feel it's an extension. It's a way for us to be able to extend our ministry and help anybody be able to feel good about where they are in their relationship to money. For sure. Because I guess, yeah, with, with the the church world, you know, there is probably pastors and ministry workers that, that, that don't have a clue how to set up their, their financials as far as taxes and stuff like that. So yeah. imagine a lot of people get their stuff in a bind. Yeah, you know? the, there's a very unique way that ministers have to address taxes. And even a lot of accountants don't do enough of them. They may be somewhat yeah. familiar with it, but they don't do enough to really know how to guide them. And so we work with, we do tax returns and we have two businesses. We have Peachtree Planning of North Georgia and Peachtree Tax Advisor. So our tax practice is largely focused on ministers, clergy, and nonprofit, although we do do returns for ordinary people as well. Yeah. You know. And you actually were really involved. You said you actually were, you were working for your dad in, in your senior year of high school. Yeah, I was, um, Jeez. he was down. I think he had an office on, Oh, I don't even remember what the road was now. It was, um, near central Plaza and in a building and I would go in there and, you know, help him with his filing and his typing. And so I always had some exposure to the business. And, yeah. You know, I majored in, um, marketing in college with an emphasis in fashion and, He's the one that really convinced me to come into the financial business. He said, you know, we don't have enough women in this industry. Um, it's a great way for you to build a business that allows you to have some flexibility and your ability to, you know, build relationships yeah. with people. It was real natural. And so it was really by his encouragement that I decided to join him out of college back here in Rome for several years before I subsequently moved to New York. That was really neat. And speaking of New York, I mean, which which part of New York did you move I, to? I lived on Long Island. 
okay. um, on the south shore of Long Island. So if you think about where JFK is, where we're probably about, you know, about 30-minute drive, but it really wasn't that far from JFK, just to the right there on the south shore of Long Island, on, you know, near the beach. It was 15 minutes I could be on the beach. Man. It's beautiful there. A lot of people don't realize how beautiful that area of Long Island I've is. I've never even been to New York. Really? Ever. Like, I've been to a few places, but that's just one of them I've never been to. Yeah. Well, you know, I've lived in Long Island. It's not the same as living in Manhattan. Um, I worked in the city when I first moved to New York. Um, We were in the city, you know, often for different things. My son went to high school in Manhattan. Um, But, you know, living on Long Island definitely was a little bit different. But it's the energy and the hustle of the city is, is something that I... I loved to to go into the city, but you know Rome has its own character and charm as well. I like being back here too. Yeah. So was that was that a huge adjustment? Like, yeah. Because you, you lived there for twenty five years, yeah. right? Raised my kids so, there, and um, you know I think the juxtaposition between the two places was really interesting. For three years, I was going back and forth. So when I made the decision to come to come and join my dad, I was serving as um, a CEO of a of a media company that was focused on women and money. Um, I worked actually as a executive for a large insurance and investment company. And so my role for them was to run their subsidiaries. And they even had me launch a company on their behalf. And that's what I was doing when COVID hit. And I had launched my book. I was in Rome on March 13th of 2020, the first stop of my book tour. Really? You know, that all kind of, you know, and I was supposed to speak at a conference that weekend. I was the keynote speaker. That went sideways and, you know, went back home to New York and kind of reevaluated, um, you know, just what was going on. And my dad, I knew that um, if I didn't come back and, and help him and take over, that he might not slow down. So that was really important to me to do that. So I was going back and forth for three years before we moved here. We moved here yeah. in June. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, like the downtown city part of New York. is it, It's just like what you see in probably the movies. It's yeah. just really busy. And Very busy. It can, can be kind of probably overwhelming if you've never been there in person. Yeah. You probably just don't even know where to even it look, t- what, you, what to look at. It took you know, me so a busy. year to get really adjusted. I thought I was going to oh, have pretty quickly. Yeah. But even going and ordering food at the deli, like you have to be fast. There is no taking your time and perusing the menu. You've got to be quick. And so, quick, um, yeah. but once you get used to it and once you understand how to, how to be in New York, um, you know, it's a great, fun place to be, but there's definitely something to it. Yeah. You know? And the financial um, technology, you said that was, I was trying to understand what that that term even means, financial t- technology, and you said something about invest or uh, investi- investment or in- investigation or something like that. Well, so the fintech company that I was running, it's financial technology. Originally, they had actually built – um, a planning system for advisors to use with their clients that was mainly paper. Gotcha. They had okay. software. This is back in the 80s, right? So through the years and of them involving, they, you know, focused a lot more on the software side yeah, of gotcha. things. So when I was asked to come in and um, take over as CEO, that was our main focus is building software as a service and, um, you know, working with advisors, not only teaching them how to use the software, but how to work with yeah. clients. And so um, that was a great fun job because I learned a lot about the technology side that isn't normally what you might learn in the financial business. So it was a really very innovative, fast paced, um, you know, it's multi-million dollar company. And my job was really to turn it around. How do you, you, is that something that 
you were here in Rome and you just started looking at job positions and you applied for this via like the internet and had to kind of got, had to fly up there for an interview and how did that, like, how did that even go down? Like, well, you know, I didn't move there because of that job. I actually moved in 1998 and was asked to come in and work with a firm in Manhattan, kind of being in charge of training and developing their other advisors. So I did that, and they had an office in Westchester County, White Plains, New York, and in Manhattan. So I did that for several years. Um, And then I actually worked for the subsequent fintech company for a couple of years, being in charge of all their training internationally. Did that for several years and did some consulting work while my kids were little. Um, Came back kind of in full-time role back when my kids were, you know, getting into element, you know, well into elementary school. And, um, and so it was just by working my way up through different avenues that I was put in a position to, um, be asked to come in and serve as CEO and the familiarity with the company previously, I'm certain helped with that. Did you ever, as a woman or female in that role, like is, have you had some pushback against other males in the, in that, in that arena? Well, or, or for sure, I think that um, being in an industry that is predominantly male, you know, I, there's always a, a tendency to wonder, you know, how much does maybe this person know? Um, when I served as the CEO of that company, one of the things that I think really helped is I'd been in the community. I had trained a lot of the advisors that were using the system previously. Gotcha. Okay. So they knew me enough to know. Okay. So they knew, knew that you knew your yeah, stuff. That I knew my, that I knew what I was doing. So right. uh, in terms of that system, now running a company was something that I was learning on the fly, so gotcha. to speak. Yeah. And I learned, I had to learn very quickly, had to leverage resources but what an amazing opportunity, and it served me well in my work now with business owners because a lot of financial people who work with business owners haven't actually run a company. So the fact that I've run a company, run right. two companies, I think helps me a lot to understand and um, to be able to work with business owners a little differently as a result of that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm i still in this, like, I love my accountant that I have now, and I know you're CPA and financial advisors are two different worlds, right? Yeah, there there's some CPAs that that give financial advice, but um, but usually it's two separate kind of areas. I've often wish I've often thought that it would be so cool to find a a CPA slash financial advisor slash like previous or business owner hybrid mm-hmm. because that way they would know understand all the moving parts. Because I feel like I love my CPA, but like I feel like you know there's a lot of things that. I don't know until it's time too late, you know, it's like, man, why didn't you tell me about that? It's like a lot of, it's more like, you know, it's because they never ran a business. Yeah. And I think uh, most CPAs aren't necessarily thinking about strategy. Right. They're, you know, they're recording, you know, here's what you did. Here's, you know, and so they're not necessarily thinking forward. Looking ahead. And like, yeah, I've I've had a couple of different situations where like if, if we had caught it in enough time or if I had, if I had, heard about this strategy it would have saved me a lot of money you know it's like man you know yeah. it's a shame that you know that was missed or overlooked just simply because they just didn't have the experience or just didn't know because they never really ran what it's like to run a business yeah you know it's, it's very helpful big, to have had difference. that experience for sure for sure both in the um financial side and even the the tax side but it you know just to think about things a little differently and to be able to empathize with the business owner and what they're going through. For sure. So the, so COVID was really, was that a, was that kind of a, a pivoting point for you to kind of really start stacking your cars differently? I mean, I know you yeah, said you I, launched the book and everything and it made, it made a lot of people kind of have to 
pivot, yeah. you know, their yeah. whole, their whole career and life and everything else. So that was kind of like the, if it hadn't been for COVID, I guess, would you, would you still be back in Rome? I don't know. You know, I think COVID, it was the first time that I had been off the road. I had been traveling every week for almost 10 years at that point. So it forced you to slow down? Yeah. So, you know, go when I went yeah. back after that, you know, that conference I told you I was speaking at got canceled. I went back to New York and didn't leave my house for six weeks. So, you know, that time and being home and stopping, I think, was really instrumental in having me just take a step back yeah. and say, okay, what am I doing? And at the moment, you know, I'm serving as a CEO, but I didn't own the companies I was serving right. as the CEO of. So when my parents and I started kind of talking about the future of my dad's business, I thought, you know, I'm tired of building other people's hot dog stands. Maybe I should <laughs> right. come back and, yeah. you know, be able to give him a gift of being able to enjoy this time of life if he wants to, you know, he's yeah. still very active in the business, but he can go and do other things and, and, and enjoy this part of his life. And so, and now I can build something that I own, which is a very different experience than um, being a CEO for hire. And how old your father? He's in his mid seventies. Still super active though. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah, I he just had full knee replacement surgery, so he's not super (laughs) active right right now. (laughs) But you know that gave him by me being there, it gave him the ability to say I can go and take care of myself in this way and get this done, knowing that Andy's got control of the business and I don't have to worry about that. And so, what a relief uh, to be able to give that gift to him. Yeah. So for the the listeners and even myself, like what is. What is the what is the primary purpose of a financial advisor, and how can people benefit from that? And who would be a good fit for a financial advisor? Uh, so, kind of give me the breakdown on that, okay. and you know whether it's your person starting off at a young age, you know, just the first job. Like, what's some what's some strategies that that you feel that person could could do at a young age to set themselves up for a really good future? Or some people that maybe in their thirties or forties just thinking it's just too late. You know, right. like, you know, or, or anything in between. What's your take on that? Well, there's different types of advisors. Let me start with that. I think there's people that focus on the investment side of the business. And then there's people that focus on the planning and maybe insurance side. Um, I think a financial planner, a CFP, which is what I am, focuses on all of it together. Gotcha. And so I think it's important when you're working with somebody to know what kind of advisor they are. Because if they're only helping you in the investments, that's just a third of your financial plan. You've got right. protection and savings and other, you know, real estate perhaps, other things that you need to have somebody give you advice about yeah. to have a real comprehensive look at your finances. Um, my take is everybody should be talking to a professional. There's certainly things you can do yourself. And even while you're younger, I think there's things that you can be doing. Yeah, but sure. where I see there being a challenge is when you get older and you're thinking about being in that distribution phase of life, that retirement phase. Yeah. It requires an expert to really understand the tax implications of different things and to, to be able to guide you. So, um, I love working in our practice because we have people in their 90s and I have people in their 20s. So and everything okay, in between, yeah. right? That's and awesome. for young people, the focus that I like to talk with them about is on establishing good habits. You know, learning to save, really focusing on cash flow, making sure that as they increase their income, they're not automatically saving, I mean, spending their income. Most people do that. Most people Most, are unconscious spenders yeah. and conscious savers, and we need to reverse it. Even, you know, even adults, you know, yeah. they'll, that they get a raise or a bonus at work, they're going to be spending that much. Yep. And I've always used this phrase: if you if you make a million dollars a year and you spend a million dollars a year, then guess what? You're kind of broke. Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> or you may have debt even you know, more than that for the, sure. The, the person working, you know, 
uh, making a hundred thousand a year and saving is probably more wealthy than than you are Could making be. a million a year. Could That's be. crazy, right? You know, and I think it's unfortunate a lot of people's increases in incomes happen very you know incrementally so it's you know a few hundred dollars extra in a paycheck it's not necessarily that you're making you know doubling your salary that's not the common way most people have increases in income so it's easy to let that just get absorbed into lifestyle and so by having you focus on consciously making choices on intentional spending and setting up savings to happen unconsciously you'll be better set up for success long term yeah, and it's just like so many times I think people are just you just so unaware of how much you're spending. Just like I can use this the same analogy towards people just trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. If they've never really like tracked their calories before and they're just kind of freestyling, making smarter choices, sometimes that's enough to get the ball rolling, but ultimately they, a lot of them still hit like a roadblock. But once they start really looking at nutrition labels and kind of keeping up with it, then it's an eye-opening experience. Mm-hmm. Like, holy crap, no wonder I can't lose weight. You know, I didn't realize this um, healthy wrap I was getting from Chick-fil-A had 700 calories. So same thing with financials. And I I had a wake up call when I was, um, I was probably 20 in my mid twenties. And I always, I just had a feeling I needed to, because I I knew I was doing some, some, some spending that I probably shouldn't do going out with. I was, I was young, single. I was going out with my friends too much of the week. Mm -hmm. We've started Chili's. You know, on Thursdays, go out on Fridays, Saturdays, and sometimes even Sundays. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, I do have goals. I probably need to kind of nip this in the bud. So I just got on my computer and printed off my bank statements and took a highlighter and just highlighted every Chili's transaction. <laughs> and it was like 500 something dollars in a month. And wow. I was like, okay. So it's like, I see what you're saying. A lot of times people just just are unaware of how much they're spending. Right. You know, I do think it's, I think it's good for everybody to kind of do a little self check. Yeah. Do, every do now an and inventory. Then. You know, it's so funny because I think a lot of people, denial is a lovely place to live. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so they yeah. get caught up in instant gratification or live in, you know, YOLO. You only live once. What's today about, and we're not necessarily connected to our future selves and what impact that's going to have for us long term if we're not also simultaneously thinking about the future and preparing for that. Yeah. Cause it's, um, and I guess there's a fine line between like, you know, s- saving and investing, of course, because I, I got my, you know, my father, he's, he's more of that old school generation that he just kind of did everything by the book, save, save, save. And he's luckily stacked his, all his stuff he's been involved with has worked out in his favor. He's now, he's now 65 and he's retired. He's got a nice 401k and stocks and stuff like that. But, um, he's, I've always been a little bit more of a risk taker mm-hmm. and, you know, I talked to him about a lot of things, but if he knew how much money I've spent on different things to kind of keep pouring into myself and what I'm, what the direction I'm going, he would probably, he would probably freak out. Well, you know, definitely <laughs> different generations think differently yeah. about money and yeah. different, um, you know, it, it's not just generational though. It's also about your, your demographics, your psychology, you know, there's the psychographic mix is really interesting True. To, to look at as well. Cause he's often told me that, you know, the reason he's like he is with his money mindset is because he he actually did tell me some stories about how he grew up and very poor, very poor Lindell Mill Village. And he literally has memories of the the people coming in to evict him and take the furniture. Mm-hmm. And his little brother was sick and he just begged the guy to keep the couch there so his brother could keep sleeping. And the guy was like, OK. So just stuff like that. He grew up, yeah. you know, so it, may, it, it makes, makes a impact. huge difference. Yep, It, it really is. 
things that happen in our childhood really do set our relationship to money long term. And so, you know, what happens is we we do we have a usually it's an event or a series of events where we recognize money means more than math. It's more than a currency, I mean, a medium of exchange. And so when we realize that, we make up a story about money, and we don't even know we're doing it. So then we go through our childhood, our formative years, with the story we made up about money. Then we wake up as adults and try to get into action, maybe doing some planning and investing. And we make decisions that are influenced by that story we made up when we were children, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. And so part of my book and part of what I like to do when I work with people is have an understanding of, you know, what – what their childhood was like because it does influence their decisions and their relationship to money going forward. Yeah. If you, if you grew up also with like a, a parents that were, or, you know, a mom uh, that was very, very limited self-beliefs, always cutting coupons out, you know, just only buying things when they're on sale once a year. That's pretty, that's a not, it's not a very limit. That's not a very open money mindset. Is it right? Yeah. You it's know? more scarcity. Scarcity. Than abundance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That does make a huge impact like from a generational yeah you know what's fascinating though is when i i'm actually i have an idea for my second book and it's going to be around familial patterns around money one of the things i noticed is a lot of times siblings would have make up you know make up very different stories around money so you mentioned the mom cutting the coupons one sibling might see that as you know i want to be frugal like mom i want to you know make sure i recognize that it's hard work that creates money and they they buy things very specifically and and are very careful with their money where the other child saw mom cutting coupons and said i don't want to do that right i'm going to spend everything i make you know right you know (laughs) and so it's fascinating to me to see siblings react differently even in the same environment my own kids are or like that yeah it is truly just yeah i mean the psychology of it uh very fascinating yeah and i'm sure a lot of that i mean you're, you're having to dive into some of that stuff you know like psychology money mindset like you i love your idea on your next book yeah that's really cool yeah there's it's it's cool concept because because familiar patterns come down through generations and then you know people make decisions two or three generations down the line and they don't even realize you know what that's about or how that works and um usually they take they say it takes three generations to you know if somebody inherits money usually the first generation that inherits money they might you know not spend it all but the next generation usually spends it so it's very hard to have money last beyond three generations without careful planning and strategy yeah and you you have a like a, of course you want to help you help you, i'm sure you don't turn down anybody but you just you have a passion for helping more like females in what area is that like, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, females that are coming out or going through a divorce or what is that? How does that all tie together with what you're passionate about? Well, I think first of all, I'm passionate about bringing more women into the industry, but working with women too, because I think women have unique challenges ahead of them. Many women, you know, have maybe taken time off during their career to raise young children. And then, you know, that that does impact their ability to be at a certain level, perhaps in their career. And then as you get older, now you have the shifting of responsibilities where you have maybe adult children, you're still somewhat caretaking for and you may have older parents that you're also responsible for or older relatives or loved ones that you're being asked to care for and that caregiving role not only takes a toll on a on a female 
physically and mentally and emotionally, True. but financially, you know, that time of off of work and that lack of being able to kind of have that momentum. And then when you look at adding maybe a change in relationship status, like a divorce into that, there's just a lot of unique challenges. And so one of my designations happens to be in, um, in working with divorce, um, both on a legal team and also working with people individually. And it, it's just most, most women come out of a divorce, less financially secure than they than they were before and so how do we really help women get an understanding about what that means for their lives and how they can do better going forward yeah you know you mentioned about some people think it's too late it's never too late you know do taking the next step moves you in the right direction no matter where you are financially whether you're getting ready to retire or you're 20 or you're 30 or somewhere in between you know not taking action is making a conscious decision yeah, and then how unfortunate it is, and you, you know, you you see this all the time, is when when uh, a female stays in a in a in a, in a toxic mm-hmm. relationship because she just don't see how there's any way out financially. Right. I mean, I feel for those. Yep. That know. financial domestic abuse is something that's not talked about as much, but a lot of women stay in relationships that are unhealthy because of money. And and in many ways, sometimes their partner might be using money as a method of control to keep them in that relationship. And so it's um it's a real passion of mine to be able to, to speak to that a little bit more and to be yeah. a sounding, uh, you know, be a voice for women that are in that situation. Especially if there's, you know, children involved, mm-hmm. you know, and depending on what kind of lifestyle you're living it's hard to it's hard to just walk away from that. Yeah, you know, and if it affects you, it affects your child. Yeah, but it's like, man, I, I feel for that. I feel, you know, and I was telling you a little bit about my girlfriend slash wife. <laughs> we we should just be married, and um, you know, she went through this similar situation. You know, she literally felt trapped. Yeah. you know, for a while, but she was proud of her for digging through and finding finding a gateway to create some financial you know, income as an outlet to kind of create, get out and create her own, her life and identity and, and keep, keep providing for herself and her kids. Yeah. It's, it can be scary to think about, you know, learn, you have to first learn and get educated and then doing something. And it's really easy to be comfortable where you are. It is. um, We always want to resort back to that. That's always the default. Yeah. But life's too short, you know, to be in an unhealthy relationship. Yeah. That uncomfortable thing, you know, it's just humans in general, just want to just default back to that you know and i'm this whole past year for me has been the past year and a half of just uncomfortableness and it's been but i'm i've I've been around enough people that's that's doing what i want to be doing to to realize you gotta you gotta lean into that uncomfortableness gotta get comfortable with being uncomfortable it's not gonna feel good man everybody's gotta go through through the fire and it's been it's been some fire so i was telling you earlier i'm still in the building process and um but i've i've enjoyed it it hasn't been easy, but, uh, you know, same thing with weight loss, same thing with relationships. It's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, for sure. Takes work. Um, so what, what I want to ask you, um, you know, you're a numbers, you're a financial person, you know, what do you, do you have any views on like the current like economy and the crazy interest rates and the housing market? Like, does it even make sense to buy a home right now if, if you're a young person? Like, I don't even know how people are even doing it. Like, well, I see it, people graduate, you know, college, you know, they've got student loans, and they get married, and, you know, they might have some corporate jobs making decent money. 
six figures, you know, whatever. But still, it don't. It seems like it don't hold a light to the the their their debt. Yeah. For sure. You know, my daughter just graduated college in May and so, and she's working at her first job and she was talking to me a little bit about her plans. And, um, fortunately she has no student loans. Um, so she's coming out in, you know, in a much better situation than a lot of her, um, maybe friends or other people her age. And we were talking about it. It's really tough. I think the economy is actually really strong right now. I think a lot of people don't feel like it's strong because we've had an unusual, two or three years you know we had covid then we all True. came out of covid and everybody's spending money like it's water you know just <laughs> yeah. everywhere yeah. um we had a lot of money flooding into the economy to try to give relief and then we had last year in 2022 where stock market was down interest rates blew up inflation was at, at a high that we haven't seen in 40 years and even though now inflation is slowing down in terms of the um you know path forward it's not the, the prices aren't rising as high as they were i think it's down three or four percent i haven't looked at it this morning um but the but the issue is is the price increase we've experienced over the last 18 months yeah it's sticky it's not going to go back to the way it was before so even though inflation is slowing down moving forward those price increases that we all experienced you know the basic things bread milk gas those things are not going to go back to revert you know or (laughs) if they do they won't be going back so fast so it still feels like um, that people are really struggling and wages haven't quite kept up with the um, inflation as well. And so I think in debt, you know, most most people have a lot of debt and not good, not the good debt, the bad debt. So when, when stuff like bread and milk does go up, yeah. it starts to hurt you know, a little bit more. You're sitting in yeah. retirement and, yeah, you got your home paid off, but you're living on a fixed income and now you got to pay more for the basic groceries and um, utilities and things like that it's really puts a strain on people so people have to learn how to let you know remain in control of their money so that they give themselves um flexibility to you know be able to handle different times of turmoil and um different circumstances in the economy yeah yeah it's um it's it's definitely a, a strange thing because like you said it's um it's their daily habits that you know, can affect that. And, you know, you don't realize how much stuff like that can affect people's everyday life, but bread going up, milk going up. It's wild. Yeah. We keep hearing about everybody struggling and I'm not suggesting that that it isn't happening, Yeah, but but then you go to the airport and you're like, well, (laughs) I mean, everybody is, you know, or the car lots. Yeah. It's just buying stuff. And I got a lot of car lot buddies and they're, they're still selling the heck out of cars. Yeah. People are buying stuff and, you know, looking at what's going on in the holiday spending right now, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I really hope that people are not just getting themselves further and further into credit card debt as a result of trying to keep up and do all of these things because um, that's the bad debt that we talk about a lot. And, you know, but I, I, it just, it's fascinating to kind of hear and then yet see it's two different worlds. Yeah, I often, I often think the same thing because, you know, it's not, it's this day and age, we were talking about Instagram earlier and how you, it's easy to compare yourself mm-hmm. to others' success, but you don't know what they've put that on. Like you said, they could have slapped it on a credit card. They could have mm-hmm. got a got a loan, but it could be a crazy, crazy astronomical interest rate. Um, yeah. So it's not always what it it's not always what it appears to be. Absolutely, um, you know, yeah. I pay off my credit card bills every month. I use my credit card. I like to get points. And so I can travel and do other things, but I pay off my credit card bills every month. I that's the one thing I will not do is those will maintain. Those will hurt somebody quick, for sure, for sure. 
like some of the interest rates, especially right now on those cards. Yeah. Like what's what's some of the highest ones you've seen? Ooh, like, I've heard, seen twenty three, twenty four percent. I mean, it's you know even That's you know crazy. home equity lines of credit have gone up. Um, people, a lot of people have these variable rates, and so it's been you know a real challenge for people. And you can get in over your skis really quickly, yeah. so that you know and then you now you're really facing a dilemma in terms of getting out of that debt. And so I think it's, um, it, you can use debt. I, I think there's good debt and bad debt. The mm-hmm. bad debt we're talking about right here is the credit card debt or the, the high personal loans. And those can be, you know, certainly hard to kind of get out of, but making a conscious effort to do so is one of the best things you can do for yourself long-term. Do you agree with a lot of, uh, I, I would, I would say no, considering what you just said, but what do you, do you agree with a lot of Dave Ramsey's Uh, I think that Dave Ramsey has done a lot of work in a very specific market. You know, his target market is the combined family income of $60,000, $70,000 a year. Yes. Most people are not there. Um, Those that are, I think, can really benefit from maybe some of his reduction strategies. The thing that I don't like about Dave is he's very shame. He makes people feel shame around Monday. You know, you can't go out to eat if you don't have, if you have credit card debt. You can't, unless you got a million dollars in the bank, you shouldn't be buying a new car. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's enough shame that we put, that people put on themselves about feeling like they're uneducated or I should know more, I should have done better. We don't need somebody else in a role like that adding to it. So I don't like that about what Dave does. And I notice now we're seeing people speak up against that. But I do think Dave's, you know, in terms of debt, I don't agree with paying off your house necessarily. I don't know. That's a very individualized decision. Um, I think that when I think about that, I don't want to have a home paid off and have no money. Right. I want to have money. You know, yeah. and, and so it, it, I can have money to pay off my mortgage doesn't mean I'm going to do it. And so, right. um, I think there's ways that you can remain in control of your money. But I do think in terms of the credit card debt and the learning to, to spend, you know, or live yep. on less, I think, right. uh, and be able to save, I think those things can be good things that Dave is, um, able to share with people. Yeah. I gotta, you know, like, like what you said, he, he, he wants you to just pay cash for, for vehicles, you know. Like he don't want any auto loans. So I've actually seen that concept applied to some people that, that even with they work for me, they've, they've saved up their money and tried to go out and buy used what they thought was a decent car. And they, they end up having car, a lot of car problems. You know, mm-hmm. I've had to give them like paycheck advanced stuff to, to get car parts and get their transmission worked on. Finally, I was like, what would it look like if you just sold that and went and got you a newer, you know, new or like new vehicle with a payment, right? That was more reliable, you know. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like in the middle, you know. It's yeah, like, everybody has a very individualized yeah. situation. I don't think there's one steadfast rule for everybody, right? But yeah. I think remaining in control of your money and having accessibility to capital puts you in a much more powerful position than not. Um, or to have to rely on going and getting loans to kind of, or, or going to debt when you For have sure. an emergency. So I really believe in, in having, you know, money that you can get your hands on and having good savings even before you start investing. What would you, what would you consider a, a good way to like, self-check yourself like for the listeners if, if you wanted to if they wanted to kind of evaluate themselves as far as a financial standpoint regardless of where they're at what age like how much how much what's that ratio between your paycheck 
and how much your bills are versus like, and then how much, how much would you recommend them having stashed away? Like what's just some simple things they can kind of look under the hood, pull some reports off their bank statements and kind of be like, okay, am I, am I doing decent or do I have a lot of work to do? Well, ideally in a perfect world, if you could save 20% of your income, that would be great. Now recognize that most yeah. people aren't doing that. Most people, I think the you know savings rate maybe two or three percent in this country in terms of what people are saving. But you know even if it's one percent better a year, if you can get used to that, I think that's really helpful. Um, and in terms of, I think people should have six months worth of living expenses set yeah. aside, so that if they lose a job, want to launch a business, or in a toxic relationship, you know have a sudden illness, something happens, they have right. six months worth of money that can get them through. It helps them to be in a better better position to make decisions. Um, so I think six months worth of living expenses set aside is a really healthy place to start even before you start saving beyond that. And then from there, it's really about you know, a lot more than just the standard. So, you know, you've got retirement, certainly you want to be thinking about, but it's around, you know, everybody has different risk tolerance, different family dynamics, different goals and objectives. And so where and how you yeah. save and invest beyond that is really dependent on that. Yeah. And most people, they're not even really thinking that far ahead. No. You know, it's like, I don't even know, like, if most people even have a plan, like what they just especially, you know, self-employed people, you know, like you don't have the, and what do you, what is your opinion on putting all your eggs in the 401k basket? Even, even so, I mean, if that's all you're doing, I guess that's better than nothing. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, look, I think putting money in a qualified retirement plan, like a 401k, if you're working with a company and they're taking a percentage yeah. out of your paycheck every two weeks, and that's just kind of really all your, you, you just assume you're good to go. You just assume you're good. You can, you're going to get some social security you got this 401k, you know, you're doing, you feel like in your heart, you're doing the right thing. But when it gets closer to that, that age, you're like, oh man, this is not as grand as I thought it was going to be. Well, there's, you know, pros and cons. I think it, you know, by putting money away, you're doing it on a pre-tax basis. So you may be saving some tax today, but remember the IRS doesn't go away. So when you take money out, yeah. all of it's taxable in retirement and they force you to start taking money out at a certain age. So, you know, you have that to think about. You also, I think it, what the good part about a 401k plan is you get a match typically yeah. if you're with a good company. It's free money. And your discipline, it's, it creates discipline. You know, you, you don't see it in your paychecks. So you don't spend it. So you're not making a conscious decision around that money. So you're just, so for a lot of people, that discipline is really, really critical. Having said that, you know, when we think about diversifying, we can't just think about the different types of investments and the different types of asset classes we're investing in. We also have to have tax diversification as well. And since yeah. all the money coming out of a qualified plan is taxed at ordinary income rates, um, I think having some diversification beyond that where you can take advantage of capital gains or tax-free income is also really important to incorporate into your long-term strategy. Is a is a Roth IRA pre-taxed? No, you, when you invest in a Roth, you pay tax first and then you put money in so that when there you do go. take it out, yeah. I mean, there's right. rules and, and how you take all that money out, but it will come out tax free. So, you know, even something like that could be very helpful if you can contribute to a Roth. There's the issue with the like IRAs and 401ks and Roths is the government really dictates when and how all that happens. Grows, yeah. It's not you or your company, it's the government. Now, the company <laughs> may have a plan that also right. has different rules and things. So you just got to keep in mind that, um, you know, you're you're relinquishing some of that control there. So I think just making sure you have things 
in different places so that you can put yourself in a position to have flexibility when you get to retirement because you don't know what that's going to be like and that that's the really the best plan. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had careers in the past that had, has had 401ks. Um, and even now, I think, I can't remember how much it is monthly that gets dumped into a to a, some, some type of IRA or Roth, but I haven't even looked at it in so long. I need to probably. But I'm, I'm more, and maybe you'll tell me I need to do, diversify a little bit more, but I'm more focused on right now. I feel, I feel like my passion is, is building physical like assets, Mm -hmm. like stuff I can see and feel and have a little bit more control over. You know, we talked about the the brick and mortar businesses and the franchises and the the podcast studio is an entity of that, that will be all what I hope to be sources of income, you know, one day, multiple sources. So even though it's not the typical, stock or 401k I'm, I'm kind of putting all all my eggs in those baskets that's not right uncommon now. for a business that's, owner i think most business owners think i'm not going to put my money in a 401k plan when i could put it in my business and earn 20 30 40 percent rate of return so you know if you believe in your business yeah then you're going to tend to invest in your business but at some point every business owner will exit their business true. either by chance or by choice true, you know true. either they can they may work there till they die but at some point they're exiting that business. And so one of the things that I specialize with business owners is helping to increase the value of their business so that it puts them in a position to where if and when they decide to, to exit the business, yes. whether they're selling it, giving it to a family member with succession or employees or um, are working there for the rest of their lives for their children to inherit, that they can get the maximum amount of value from that business because a business owner in retirement that can't retire if they don't get the value out of <laughs> right. the business, right? Yes. And so how do you do that and how do you increase value be, beyond some multiple of EBITDA? I think most business owners think, well, it's a you know some multiple of revenue or multiple of EBITDA, and it's really, you know, there can be a lot more there if you build your business with the right value creation in mind. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> I guess that's my grand plan is to just to build, 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 and, you know, once I do get an age to where I want to, like, retire, whatever that looks like, I don't know, I'm pretty busy body, but I guess I would sell some of the businesses or exit, you know? Yeah, like, but, what, you know, I think a lot of business owners think, I'll just work here until I die, right? Yeah. And so, And maybe you can, but what if a health challenge just arises to where you True. can't do that? Can't. Or you can't, you know, do it in the way that you would like to with the integrity that you've worked up to that point. And so you have to look at, you know, continuity and contingencies and you have to make sure that, you know, while you're building your business, you're also building with that value in mind because then if you have to suddenly exit your business because of something, at least you're going to be able to get perhaps the most value from that business to be able to sustain yourself (laughs) going forward. Yeah. Which I learned, I learned a lesson with that. You know, I built my first real company in 2016, the the stump grinding tree service company, and didn't know what I was doing. And a lot of that uh, money that was earned in that blue collar arena was cash. It was mm-hmm. you know, um, I only reported what was given to me through check. And of course, when I I, I never did intend to sell the business, but when I did, stuff like that came back to kind of bite me in the butt. Yeah, you know. So, see what you're saying. Yeah, you always. Now I'm at a point where I want to. I want to have healthy businesses on paper too. Right. <laughs> so. You know, you got to work. You know, every business owner that I meet 
spends a lot of their time working in their business. Right. And and you occasionally have to take some steps back and work on your business. True. You know, I think that um, Gary Vanderchuk talks about being in the clouds and being in the dirt. Business owners are in the dirt. They're they're digging, they're hustling, they're oh, building, man. they're grinding. Yeah. And you got to kind of go into the clouds and say, okay, let me take a step back and think about, you know, do I have certain things in places? Do I have systems and processes in places? Do I have you know, records? Do I have continuity plans? What's going to happen if this happens? And what will, um, what, you know, what my partners think, what will my, you know, it's just a lot more to it. And so having someone um, like myself be able to help guide yeah. you through that process and carry you down a path of looking at it can be extraordinarily value. And you're right. You got to slow down to speed up. Yes. So many, but so many people just have their back up against the wall running a business. Cause I get it. I've been there before and I have crazy days still, but I've I've learned a lot through the years, and I've learned to let let go to grow, yep. delegate, um, yep. because I, I I have a passion for working on that back end stuff, yep. the the growing. But that if you're if you're constantly in the in the in the ditches running running the business, there's not much it, time to to build the back end stuff to help it take it to the next level. Yeah, I'm I mean I'm guilty of getting caught up in that too. I have to yeah, take a minute. Me you know, too. My my word for 2020, I have a word of the year I do every year. And my word of the year for 2020 was pause. I manifested a whole big pause for everybody, I guess, during 2020. <laughs> yeah. But part of that was to slow down to go fast. I think yep. you know, you've got to sometimes take a step back and so it was a really good opportunity for me to look and and as a result of that i really changed the trajectory of where my you know what i was doing in in terms i was still in the financial business but in a very different modality and coming back to georgia and um so i think you have to do that in order to get to where you need to be next yeah and i I, i'm not opposed against to hard work i've been i tell people i've been busting my butt since i was 13 years old um but I have a big, I have a, I think that's where my true passion lies and skill is, is more on the, the back end, creating and building, mm-hmm. you know, I may have to work a little bit at the beginning, but I, I see now the, the, the process of, you know, hiring the right people to match your kind of your culture and your, your, your community, your vision, you're trying to build, train them, knowing that everything's not always going to be perfect. Cause it, you know, I, I mess up sometimes too, as long as we can learn from that and move forward, that's what matters. Yeah. And just kind of keep building. So that's kind of my my gear that I'm currently in. You know, it, you, what you said there, I think, is really important, Keith. Is that you know, there's kind of a, a thinking that people can't fail. Well, my goal is to fail fast and fail often. Yeah. You know, so that I learn, and I, you know, you learn, you learn, and you regroup and you go forward. And so, when you are building businesses and you're growing and you're developing people, the goal should be to have failure because it's through failure that you learn and can grow even faster and better than before. It exposes the leaks. Yeah. So we have to embrace that a, a little bit. Yeah. I know a lot of the um, friends of mine that are in the startup community and especially in the tech space, that's their motto, fail forward, fail fast, fail yeah. often. And because that's how they grow and evolve. And so um, it's it's important as business owners that we have the willingness to take a look at that too and, and slowing down yeah. gives us an opportunity to do that. Back probably 20 episodes ago, I interviewed a guy named uh, TK Hamilton. He owns Midian Roofing, large roofing company based out of Rome. He was, 30 years ago, he was in prison. Mm-hmm. Got out and was a one-man show, maybe had a couple of buddies helping him roof. But long story short, he was in that spot where he was in the trenches every day working. He was at a point where he knew he wanted to scale the company, and he's going to have to just trust and mm-hmm. you know, be able to know that things are getting taken care of on the job site, even if he's not there. 
and he tells you at first it was bad. You know, they got callbacks on leaky roofs, but like you said, it, it exposed the the, the leaks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, here's this is the fifth home now where I see where a nail wasn't nailed on this flashing. I need to up my training. You know, let's right. let's just plug this this specific thing in our training program. So that's what it's about. Yep. You know, learning and growing. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking, I think, before the podcast about growing and building and always looking to how you can improve. And one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. And one of my, that, I just literally said that was one of my favorite movies a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. There's a line in there that says, you, you know, you better get busy living or get busy dying. Yep. And so for me, I love that line because, you know, I always love the pursuit of learning and, and growing and building and you know i never think i've got it all figured out there's always Mm -hmm. i learn something new every day and i look for opportunities for that to happen and and you seem like you're the the same way and um and it's fun you know it's fun to do that i don't think i'd be very happy if i was complacent and kind of sitting back and just letting things ride it's how i'm wired like i i've I've known i was i've been different for since a young age and sometimes I, i think my mom and my family look at me like i'm crazy you know a lot of times i feel like maybe Maybe I'm putting words into their brain that don't exist, but like they, my mom sees me doing and doing it all the time and building and creating. And, you know, a lot of me sometimes wonders if they're just like, dude, you know, what, what's going on? Like, why can't you just be happy and content? Mm. I'm just like, it's, I'm sorry, man. It's just how I'm wired. It's just how I'm, it's just how I am. I was cut from a different, it's just not, I can't just be, I can't just be, right. uh, you know, I, I love, I'm super passionate about creating and building. Right. So, but you know, there's, there comes a point where I have a very good friend that he, he's passed now, but one of the things that he said to me, probably one of the last conversations I actually had with him, he died of cancer, is he said, you know, when you're looking out towards the horizon and you always think it's always out there, it's always out there and you're always going for it, going for it, because mm-hmm. you have to take time to look back and see how far you've come from the shore. And, and being grateful for that process, being grateful for how far you've come. And so it's, it's probably the, the biggest challenge that I have as somebody who, like you, is constantly yeah. trying to strive for growth is to make sure that I'm you know, continuously grateful for all that I've been through, all I've been able to accomplish, how far I've gotten, and to take that time to look back. And that's where you can create the being happy part and saying, you know, I've yes. come this far and – I have more to go, like being in the space of both. I think we could all do a better job of that. And this, this was actually just brought up yesterday on a post of a good friend of mine, Lindsay Bellcase. She had me and her were talking about uh, how we're both, we're we're both going to be turning 40 next year. And uh, we put so much pressure on ourselves as business owners. And it can be very overwhelming to think about how far you got to go, you know, what, what you haven't done yet. But she, she made a good, just a post yesterday. You you need to give yourself grace and gratitude about how Mm -hmm. far you came. Yeah. And you're right. That does. I think I need to do a better job of that because if you're constantly thinking about what you got to do and the, the mountains you have to climb to get where you want to be, there's nothing wrong with that. But that can be kind of taxing. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. You got to give yourself the, yeah. the ability to. And it's through gratitude that I find that the manifesting the next happens mm-hmm. the most often. Right. You know, and so um practicing gratitude my my word of the year's purpose for 2024 but um you know as part of that you know doing that gratitude every day and really being in that mindset of that is, is something that i continuously work on and try to strive to do better probably do like uh be kind of neat to set myself a goal to like get up and and just having like have a journal and just write down like a something 
something that uh, not only am I grateful for, but something I've been successful with in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a good milestone or a stepping stone to get to where I am now. Yeah, like overcame acknowledgement. Yeah. yeah. Even the little cool. things. I mean, it could be something little. Little. It may seem insignificant. You know, in my gratitude journal, sometimes I write down, I'm just grateful for the smell of coffee. Yeah. Like, you know, something small like that. But, you know, or being grateful for, you know, that it's a it's a beautiful day and I could go for a walk or whatever it happens to be. Yep. Speaking of walks, that, that's my little piece of solitude through the days. If it's decent weather, is I'm so blessed to be where we're at with the nutrition shop because I can go out the back door, mm-hmm. hop on the trail system, and either – put on my headphones and listen to some podcasts or music or just go, go walk in silence. But that's where I do a lot of my reflecting and yeah. stuff like that. I started it's walking cool. as a matter of fact, that's funny. I started walking a couple of years ago for that very reason is to have, you know, a, a form of exercise that was more focused on more lower impact, if you will. Yeah. Um, not so intense that I could just, you know, for my mental health for sure. And walking is such a great way to do that. I went for a walk on Sunday and threw on a podcast and listened to that. And, um, and it's just, it was a beautiful day and it was just, it, there's something about that that I think is so important. And as you get older, you can't keep, you know, grinding fitness wise <laughs> right. at the gym. You've got to do some yeah. other things that are, you know, meditation and mindfulness and slowing things down is as important as, you know, doing all the heavy yeah. lifting. And this, this part, this is perfect to bridge into the, the next conversation topic here is, um, how does health and wellness play a role in what? what you're doing or, or your clients, you know, like this can be either, you know, some of your personal, you know, like I know it's very easy as, as, as entrepreneurs and even people that are just running companies to put your health on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Was there ever any wake up calls for you, uh, to, <laughs> yeah, to well, you needed a, to reel that back in? I'm 52. So I'm at a time in my life where, you know, I'm having a lot of different changes happening. So I've had to look at fitness a lot differently. And I think of wellness and fitness as being very comprehensive. So it's mental well-being, physical well-being, spiritual well-being, you know, and, and even financial well-being. And so yeah. um, I think that, you know, when you're stressed out about money, that feeds over into your ability to do your work. It feeds yeah. over into your ability, how you maybe eat and how you exercise. True. I think so all of it kind of works hand in hand together. And as a somebody who works, you know, I have a very, very high criteria of work ethic. You know, I mm-hmm. work a lot and, uh, and I love what I do. You know, I have clients all over the country, so I have to work late sometimes to satisfy meetings that are on the West Coast. And um, and so finding time to, to take time for myself has definitely been a struggle. I'm working with a personal trainer right now, not because I don't necessarily know what to do, but yeah, because it's the accountability. accountability piece is and, huge. Um, and it's great to just be able to go and be with him for that hour, and I don't have to think about what I'm going to do. I don't have to think. I'm like, I just do what he tells me to do, is this right? Here, is this here locally? Yeah, here in Rome. And so, and then on the weekends, I work out, um, you know, either I do the Tracy Anderson method or I have a rowing. I just got a rowing machine, yeah. so I'm loving that. Um, and our walking, doing yeah. something and moving, I think is important to kind of fill in those other gaps. But you know, sure. even doing a good yoga class, um, I wish there were more yoga in Rome. We need a hot yoga studio if you know anybody that wants to do that. But um, go see I, Springstone, I, Springstone Yoga. Okay, it's uh, off Second Avenue. Uh, she's she's really good. She's got a good thing going on. It's in the old Rome Manufacturing Building. Yeah, I love yoga. I've been doing it for years and years. And you know, my husband and I both um, really enjoy doing it. And we work out. We have a nice place, an area in our home that's dedicated towards that. But um, I like getting outside when I can. And so it's about not beating myself up for not, you know, being at the gym, pumping weights for, you know, six days a week. It's about figuring out what works for me and making it a priority. I had to make it a priority. 
and still struggle with that. I don't always <laughs> do a great job. I haven't, I've been battling with some migraines and so I've been waking up. I'm a morning person and would love to work out in the mornings, but if I wake up with a migraine, it's hard. So hard, yeah. I've had to make some adjustments as a result of that and figure out, okay, if that's not going to work, what can I do that, that does work? And so maybe it's going in the middle of the day and getting an hour in. Yeah. And that, that, like you said, it all ties together. Like the, the physical, the financial, the spiritual, the mental is, is cool. Like how it all, it really does feed off each other. Yeah, I have a, a great quote that one of my coaches, one of my previous coaches, I think it was a business coach, um, said to me, and she said, how you do anything is how you do everything. And True. boy, that really stuck with me. So, you know, how you work, how you yeah. play, how you handle your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, your financial health, you know, if you look, you know, how you keep your desk is how you keep your car is how you keep your house. Like it's fascinating. And I think that when you look at it that way, you can start to see, Hey, this one area, if my life isn't in sync, it's affecting the other areas. I was listening to a podcast a few months ago and the guy literally said during his interviews, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a smaller office and you can actually see where the person parked or pulls up, but he'll like, Say, excuse me, I need to go run to the restroom. He'll actually go out and look into their windows to see how clean their car is. <laughs> well, it's a sign because it kind of lets them right? know. Yeah, like, I, mean, you know <laughs> I mean, we've all had those moments where our cars are probably for sure. you know, uh, not the for greatest. For sure, but, but a little extreme. But yeah. you're right. I have, I have a client that um, I've known for he's – he's a friend of mine, but he's always kind of been seeing the same old tune for years. And I'm like, okay, this is obviously just a – just a pattern there's something mm-hmm. deeper going on you know it's always kind of the same oh woe is me this is going on you know it's like a, a vicious cycle that i could see him in just quicksand for years and he had reached out to me first you know uh, about my, my nutrition coaching program and um he was hesitant at first because of the cost but um and he even kind of ghosted on me for a little bit but he came back to me after twisting his arm and kind of speaking some hard truth to him he uh he signed up and through the program, he's able to he's been able to knock off like twenty pounds, and he's learned some discipline through through that avenue, which in turn has made him a better employee mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. And he's even now like mending some of his relationship issues. So it's like it gave him more confidence, which is spilling over into work, which is spilling over into his relationship. So that's that's a cool example, you know, what you said earlier, how it all it all ties together. Yeah, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah, so that's really cool. Um, so I think I want to close out with this question um why did you decide to be an expert in behavioral finance like uh, what is the what is the root like reason and why and why is this also important to you and um helping others in that area so behavioral finance has actually been around for quite some time it's kind of become more in vogue in the last um four to five years i think but really what it was for me is i noticed growing up is that people would treat people differently based on their perception of wealth. Yeah. And um, I never understood that. I never understood how you could treat somebody differently and make a decision about whether to be friends with them or not based on how much money they had or didn't have. And, you know, we're all guilty of seeing somebody and making judgment calls about their wealth. And, And so that, to me, really struck home. I wanted to understand why that was and what yeah. what precipitates that and what happens. And that's where I started to kind of understand about these decisions we make as children or the things we see and experience as young people, yeah. how that influences our ability to handle finances uh, and decision-making as adults. 
um, and diving into it more and more and understanding, you know, there's a lot of biases that people have around money, overconfidence sure. bias, um, things of that nature that I've studied. And, and I have a designation of behavioral finance. Um, but I think that when I work with people, you know, I can set somebody on a plan. I can tell people what to do. Right, but if their behavior hasn't isn't changing, yes, then they won't be successful. So you know, you can. It's like losing weight. You know what to do. Exactly, Move more, eat you, less. I, f- I feel like you just spoke words that resonates with me because, oh my gosh, I tell people this all the time. I've I've done the cheap, I've sold the cheap fifty dollar plans before. Mm-hmm. I say here, here you go, go do this. Right, nine times out of ten, they don't see success because there's not enough. There's deeper rooted habits that right. are not in place. So now that's more about what what I coach. Right. I look at people's habits and I try to to start them off a little bit more realistic changes because you 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 pile a bunch of rules on people, right? And restrictions and you can't have this and you need to track everything you put in your mouth macro wise. Uh, a lot of people are going to shut down and that's only going to last a couple of days, right? You You're know? exactly right. So behavioral modification, behavioral modifications, and I love that. I love so funny how you're applying some of this psychology and behavioral stuff toward finance whereas i'm kind of in the gear of they're you know looking at the behaviorals as far as because i on the, on the onboarding question that's one of the questions i actually asked them is tell me a little bit about how you grew up mm-hmm. because some of the people that i work with is in very very bad shape they're they're already insulin resistant you know or type 2 diabetic they have like 100 pounds to lose and not 99 percent of them will tell me that they didn't have a stick of of influence in their life as far as health and wellness growing up it was always carry out nobody in their life was influencing any health on them at all so like you said how how ironic is it that not only is it a financial influence but also a a a fitness and nutrition how you do anything is how you do everything so (laughs) yeah it's i I think that you know understanding that helps me to be able to guide people to success so it's not that i you know am behaviorally coaching everybody that I work with it you know sometimes that might happen but more often than not it's my understanding of that and the role that it plays in their ability to be successful that helps me to be able to you know do certain things in a certain order um you know if I'm working with uh I do a lot of the estate settlements in our office and when you're working with people in a grieving process I think there's a certain way to handle that to where you're not being overwhelming I mean you gotta you know recognizing where they are in the grieving process in conjunction with helping them handle the financial part of it takes takes real expertise and skill to be able to do that and so I've spent a lot of my career really learning and researching and understanding behavioral finance at that deeper level because I feel it's so important to long-term success yeah, that's that's cool that you that you saw that and it was had had a, a desire to even like tap into that world. Yeah, because that's kind of where I'm at. Is I saw so many people f- still not finding success. I'm like, okay, I don't understand. I'm 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 a good person. Like I'm giving you some cool tools and some good information, but these people are still failing. Like, what is going on? And it wasn't until I started like asking more questions and getting through it to to more of the psychological standpoint. Like, okay, there's a little bit more deeper layers here right and moving parts that we got to work we got to work on and address first yeah so that's really cool yeah. i think that's really cool how you're you're kind of addressing the same layers in the financial world with people yeah it's a, it's a you know i'm very passionate about this business now i mean you know granted i maybe wasn't that way in the very very beginning yeah. but um i love seeing people live the life they want 
a life of meaning and purpose. You know, it's not just about spending money. It's, yeah. You know, money gives people freedom to do things they want to do, whether it's to educate their children, take care of their health, you know, be philanthropic, uh, make sure their family's taken care of, spending time with loved ones. That's what money really does for people. It's not having a bunch of zeros after, you know, in the bank account. No. It's, it's about those other things. And when I see that I am helping them to have that and to experience that and see that, that's where the reward comes in for me. Um, because anybody can tell you, you know, which right. stock to buy or whatever. It, but it's about making sure that I am aligning their financial picture and their goals and their objectives with with the real true purpose of money and what it's going to mean for them in their lives. And so that's where I find the deepest meaning for what I do. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I appreciate you taking the time out Absolutely. of your day to be here. And um, unless you want to add anything else, that's all I got. Well, thanks, Keith, for having yeah. me. Right, Andy, well, thank you so much. And we'll catch you guys next time.